Not a big radio row guy. Now, that being said, if my boss is listening, I mean, send me. And I want to go and I want to try to meet famous people. The radio show won't be very good, but I'd, like, <laughs> I'd love to go. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. The Wisco Sports Show, second show of the day. Bill's show is wild today. You're the guy from Pawn Stars. You know what to ask him. Mostly just about his catchphrases, you know, best I can do is 50 bucks, stuff like that. Radio Real, Radio Row really heating up today, and it's been a lot of fun. We have a guest right off the bat tonight. Bears running back Khalil Herbert. Khalil, you sat down, and it took you a minute, but then you did notice my package <laughs> shirt. At least, at least it's stylish. This is my dad's old package. Oh, man. No respect at all? Uh, no. Good. Okay, well, I, I would hope you would say that at the very least. So, I, I got to ask you about the Packers-Bears rivalry. I was talking to another buddy earlier today. He's like, you really got to get it. Like, you really got to. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But this is, like, the Bears have a fascinating offseason right now, right? Yeah. Because. Like, Lots going on. Like, a lot going on. <laughs> so, like, with the Packers all year, we're trying to figure out if Jordan Love is the guy. And what I said to a lot of my fellow Packers fans is like, well, if they're drafting near the top of the draft and they're in a spot to get a quarterback, that probably means they should take the quarterback, right? And then that problem kind of solved itself. But you guys are different. Like, you had no control over the Carolina pick, which might be the quarterback pick. So, like, what was that like? That's got to be a bizarre locker room dynamic, especially on offense. You're working with Justin every day. Um, I mean, a lot of guys don't really pay attention to it, um, especially as the season was going on, like, I don't think you found out that we had the first pick until, what, week 14, 15? Something like that, yeah. yeah. You guys so, don't think about it. Yeah, we're not really thinking about it. Um, you know, you see it in the on ESPN and everything every day now during the offseason because there's yeah. nothing else to talk about. But, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing that we can control. So we kind of just focus on what we can control and take care of what we can take care of. So Yeah. So you guys all, there's so much positivity around fields. You guys love yeah. that guy, yeah, don't you? definitely, definitely. That's like my boy. That's my yeah. boy. Um, and he's grown a lot. You know, we came in together, so just seeing – the strides he's continued to make and um you know so i'm excited to see what he could do yeah so this is this is just such a weird and you said it's a lot of outside noise players in the middle of the season it's it's pretty insulated like you guys don't listen to a lot of that you don't hear it no. week to week like i i i know a lot of guys do but like i delete my social media besides instagram but twitter and all that stuff yeah, yeah exactly tiktok you need a tiktok you need but, entertainment yeah but um so so you just try and zone it out as much as possible so you can really focus on your job yeah. So I want to ask you guys. So you're getting a new offensive coordinator, you yeah. know, from Luke Getze, Shane Waldron. And I don't like I don't want to put you in a spot to say really anything like judgmental about either guy. But I want to ask you as a running back, like when you're entering into a new offensive system or if you were to change teams, like what do you think about when you're going into a system? It's like, OK, this guy's going to be my new offensive coach. This is what he likes to do. What from a running back perspective, what are you thinking about and focused on in, in what your guys' system will be? I mean, do we run the ball? You, you know, you just can't <laughs> volume, uh, not even volumes, just like what's the identity of the offense, you know, and where he's been um, in Seattle, you know, they ran the ball well, they had a bunch of good backs, so mm-hmm. um, it's exciting, it's definitely exciting, um, so I'm excited to see what we can do. There's some, there's some, I guess, comps between Seattle, Seattle for years, defense and run the ball, like we talked to Michael Robinson yesterday, their best playing defense, running the ball, and that's kind of what Chicago has been, they're a defensive first team, you guys, like, you've had a hell of a rushing attack with mm-hmm. fields and then some of your backs, the passing game, Maybe not so much, but then DJ Moore gets here this year. What was that like when he joined the team? Like, what did yeah, he bring? Um, just that extra juice. Um, you know, his his run after the catchability, um, 
second to none, yeah. honestly. When he gets the ball, he's like a running back, and, you know, he makes people miss, and, you know, he could take a hitch and go 60. So um, it was definitely something that, you know, we needed, and um, he, he's just a big play threat that, you know, you want to get the ball in his hands anyway, how? I was a DJ more skeptic. I like, I think he was a bad player. He was a good player, but he was with Carolina, yeah. and it's just sometimes tough to judge if you were to take that player out of that system. But in Carolina, he still was putting up he, he a did. thousand a year. Right? Yeah, he he did. But like, also like a couple of my buddies, one buddy in particular, big Bears fan, were always fighting. And then I watched DJ Moore for a couple games. I'm like, oh, okay. And it's what you said. Yeah. Like, once he get the gets the ball in his hands, and Jair Alexander and other Packers said this this year. Like, he's so difficult to yeah. rope down. He's yeah. huge. Yeah, and that's that's one thing I didn't realize till really getting in the game and seeing him like in person, like while we're playing, like you know they they block for us to extend long runs. So mm-hmm. when he gets the ball in his hands, it's kind of the same thing. Like go look for somebody to block because he might make one, two, three people miss, and your block could be the touchdown block. So um, that's kind of how we work hand in hand. Uh, just getting downfield, you know, everybody wants to make help each other out and block for each other. So. That's the system that you want, right? You want everyone blocking together and doing the dirty work, even when it's not your Facts. your play. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let me let me ask you this, because I've never played football at any level. Um, I'm just a talking. <laughs> I'm, I'm a gas bag. It's what I am. Really, you didn't play football? No, I didn't. I, could I, tell. I, I never. I never. I'm pretty skinny. I never played the game, uh, as they say. Is there a lot of crossover? Like, do you work with DJ Moore? Does he work with the running backs, the wide receivers, running backs? Can you guys teach each other a thing or two? Like maybe wide receiver, you're working with them and. Yards after the catch. Because you're always you're basically always yards after the catch. Yeah. You get the ball and, and you're yeah. off and running. And then pass catching. Is there a lot of crossover? Like did you um, learn from DJ Moore and vice versa? So yes and no. Um I feel like some stuff is kind of just stuff like either where you're training in the off season or like stuff you want to focus on. Mm-hmm. But um definitely like catching, you know, different drills or different things you could do for hand eye coordination, like DJ Mooney, they always have a bunch of different things that you can do to get better in that area. Um so just Taking those little tidbits and seeing, depending on what you need to add to your game, uh, you know, I feel like you can learn from anybody. Um, and that's kind of the great thing about the NFL. Like, one guy might be good at this, so you want to ask him about that. You know, one yeah. guy might be good at that, or somebody takes care of their body this way. Like, just find, you know, those guys that you need to find and ask the questions that you need to ask. And, um, you know, most of the time it help you out. Tell me about Matt Eberflus, because you're, you're an offensive guy. Eberflus is a defensive guy. Do you work with him? I mean, he's the messenger. He speaks to the whole team. What's that relationship like? What is it yeah. like being a running back but having a defensive-leading head coach? Um, so, Flus is everywhere. Uh, he's everywhere in the building. You know, sometimes he'll just pop in and out of meetings, uh, sit in on meetings. Um, so, he's a defensive guy, but he, he, he coaches football, you know. Um, so, having him uh, just have that defensive mindset, though, seeing how the defense thinks, seeing how, you know, he's been with linebackers a lot, so seeing how linebackers think um, and how – he runs a defense, and what ways can that help me think about how I can improve my game and how defenders are thinking that? Um, so he he has a great deal of, you know, importance in that area and uh, experience in that area as well. So there's there's I'm sure parts of a defensive mindset and, and sensibilities that come with being a defensive coach or defensive player that you can use on offense. I'm exactly. sure, and vice versa. That's really cool. Khalil Herbert, Bears running back, is here. I got to ask you about the Packers Bears rivalry because there's always a ton of smack talk. Oh, when, man. When you're approaching Green Bay on the schedule, like, what's it like in the building? Because it's, it's interesting. I, I saw a clip of Fields one time talking about Josh Myers. We played with at Ohio State. who's now the center for the Packers. 
and there's just this belief, even when Bears players arrive, like they don't even need years of history with Green Bay. Like there's just almost a disgust, which rips, by the way. I think it's great. But like, what's it like when the Packers are on the show? So when you do arrive as a rookie uh, during rookie program, you definitely learn about the history. Uh, <laughs> right that's, away. that's one of the first things you learn about the history of the rivalry and the importance of the rivalry. So it's kind of embedded in you. At least for us. Yeah. I don't know about what Green Bay does. but I'm sure. Um, I'm sure it is. Yeah, it has you know, to be. It's, it's just. It's, it's, it's all Rodgers talked about for 10 years. And I'll, <laughs> and I'll say, like, there were times where I'm like, Rodgers, love beating the Bears. It's a rivalry you want to win. But, like, there's more to like. Like, it's like we can't only. That's not the only thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, dude, it's not. You know, the only you, thing. and you think about all those things, you know, over the years, all the little headlines. And yeah. Um, so all those things, you definitely see them throughout the week. You hear about them again. Um, their reminders. Um, so you try and take the good with the bad and uh, do your part in the rivalry, you know. I, I don't ever try. I'm not much of a talker, so I don't like to say too much. I, I'm trying to get a W. So I, so. I want to ask about the Q collar before we're done, yeah. but you said you don't like to tra- trash talk. One thing that I noticed this year was weird. Like, why, like, Jaquan Brisker? I don't know him. <laughs> like, he's just, he's, he's, he's creating bulletin board material. Like, hey, week you, after week after week. I feel like you have week. to have somebody that does it, you okay. know. And uh, he's going to come down the hill and hit you. So, um, you know, he can hit you on on Twitter and on the field. So I love that. I feel like I love it. I love it, though. It definitely adds a little a little spark to, you know, sometimes you just need that. You need that guy on the, on the team. So week one this year was insane, by the way. It's like, oh, yeah, if the if Packers Bears would have been week two, it would it would have been a rivalry. But week one is like we had nothing to do all summer. Yeah. but Go back and forth on Twitter yeah. and the headlines. It was it was pretty great. I understand my team won, but like I'm I'm with you. I do think the trash talk makes it better for everyone involved. Okay, tell me about the Q collar because I've seen so many NFL players wear this. Yeah. Um, and and if you're listening, I, we're on the radio. Like you think of a neck roll goes behind the neck. This is the collar that goes around the neck, not all the way around like a dog collar would, but just like a clamp. So tell yeah. me about what it does, and yeah. and because we're all wondering, we don't. Know. <laughs> Yeah, so I wear um, it. Just gives me that peace of the mind on the field. It helps protect your brain, um, basically like a seatbelt for your brain. Okay. Um, so when you get in a car accident, and you know every play is damn near a car accident, mm-hmm. um, it kind of restricts that movement of the brain, so it's not shaking all over the place. Um, you know, and it gives me a peace of mind. I, I I wear it in games, and I've noticed this year, like sometimes some hits where I'm like, damn, like. I should be a little hazy or, I've, like, hits I've taken in the past where I've yeah. gotten up hazy or hit the ground. I'm like, ah, shoot. Um, I didn't have any of that this year. So um, it's just it's, it gives me that peace of mind. You know, I had a son. So thinking about the future and being there when I'm older and, you know, not having to deal with a lot of things that um, some of these older guys are dealing with now. So How tight is it? Uh, it's, it depends. It's not tight on me. I mean, it depends on the size. But uh, okay. basically it feels like a turtleneck. Okay. I describe it as. I love That's, wearing a turtleneck. Yeah. Who doesn't but, love a turtleneck? Uh, as time goes on, like, I don't really even notice it now. It's I notice it more when I'm not wearing it, kind of, because it just, it feels, it helps my shoulder pads and everything feels super snug, so. You feel exposed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I got really used to wearing it, and I love it, so. I pre- well, I appreciate you, because we see players like Luke Keekly, uh Drew Tranquil with, with the Chiefs, and yeah. he's been around, too, like. But we're watching at home. We don't know what any of this yeah. stuff is. And I, like I said, I never played the game. Yeah. I never played football. No, it's, it's another piece of equipment that, um, you know, provides longevity you know helps you stay on the field longer stay on the field play more games get more carries make more money and and be healthier long that's the goal well i appreciate you khalil thanks for for talking about the rivalry a little bit with me and and i buy you a new shirt too don't worry (laughs) i could have worn any other shirt today (laughs) i got some extra at the hotel for you You got some bears you got some bears garb um do i got some bears i got some shorts 
Got some bear shorts for you. But, you know, it's nothing to go find. I could go find something real quick for you to change it. Should I just sit here in a white T-shirt the rest of the yeah, day and take it off? Yeah, definitely. Right. definitely. Well, I, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for being a good for sport sure. and telling us about all this. Appreciate uh, it. Yes, sir. Khalil Herbert. Have an awesome rest of Super Bowl week. Enjoy it. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks, man. That's cool. I like – so the Jaquan Brisker is a player I always notice. He's always talking smack. I'd ask about it. Let's take a three-minute break. We'll come back. Continue the Wisco Sports Show next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, Khalil Herbert, super chill guy, really nice guy. Glad he was able to hop on with us. Uh, you know, all these guys, they're promoting something, some product, some something. Uh, and the Q collar, you've seen it like that. It looks like a big clamp goes around the player's neck. It's empty in the front. So now we know. Restricts blood flow a little bit. So it keeps things a little tighter. Better for the brain. Better for the neck. It's cool to hear about that. I also, I didn't want to completely beat him around about the Packers-Bears rivalry. I almost told him, look, I... I know I'm going to come across as a bragging Packers fan, but I'm actually not a fan. I'm an owner, uh, but he might have he might have got up and walked away. He sat down and he'd been here for a minute or two as we're waiting for the show to get started. And he goes, oh, my God, your shirt. I'm like, yeah, I could have worn any other shirt today. I got my dad's old Hawaiian Packers shirt on. I take a little bit of umbrage to him. Like when I said I never played football at any level and he's like, no way. Like, I'm come on. I got like I don't have mass. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not muscularly large, but I got a good frame on me. I'm. T- I'm tall. I'm not. I'm not the big unit, but come on. I. I could have played high school football. Do I need to? I'm going to go home and look at the mirror and think about that the rest of the night. I'm like, do I really look like that much of a fraud? Do I look that skinny? <laughs> well, I never played football. No kidding. You don't say. Okay, now. Okay. As soon as I said Jaquan Brisker, he's got the biggest smile and laugh on his face. He's like, oh yeah. Jaquan Brisker, uh, he is addicted to handing out bulletin board material. But we were talking for a sec off the air. I'm like, so you got a couple talkers. He's like, every every team needs them. And every team needs a couple loud guys. They need a couple quiet guys. Because for years with the Packers, right, whether it be Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Jones or Devontae Adams, right, they're all pretty quiet, lead by example guys. And Aaron Jones, like to his credit this year, seemed to be a lot more vocal. Maybe this year he felt that he was in a position to be more vocal. And I I don't think that's just because Aaron Rodgers was gone. All of a sudden he was playing with a bunch of children. I think Aaron Jones is like, okay, I need to help these guys out. I need to help Dontavian Wicks out when he fumbled that really fluky play against the Rams. Right? I really need to go talk to Tucker Craft, Luke Musgrave. Like these are children. They needed, they need an adult to help them out. So maybe it was by necessity yeah, but we heard from from players and from Packers people and reporters this year, this is as vocal and as edgy as Aaron Jones has ever been. Like, he became more of a vocal rah-rah guy. And, I, you know, for years, it's like, well, Rodgers, not a rah-rah guy. Devontae Adams, not a rah-rah guy. David Bakhtiari, he's a lineman, probably also really not a rah-rah guy. We need one somewhere, right? Like, we can't have a bunch of quiet lead-by-example guys. And Khalil Herbert basically saying, yeah, you need some talkers. Uh, he also said deletes Twitter during the year, but Instagram is fine. Instagram and TikTok, uh, which I relate to because I don't get any of my memes on Twitter. It's like all sports stuff. Uh, Instagram's for the memes. 
It's for the funny videos. Uh, Instagram is for the trash, the non-serious trash. So I can, so I can relate to that. Um, yeah, I wish I could ask more about the. Here's the thing: the Packers beat the Bears with such frequency. I don't even know what I'd ask without sounding like a complete and total tool. It's like, man, you guys, you just can't get it done, can you? I, you just, you have, you have no hope. Um, but I'm not going to do that to the guy who's sitting here. So a cool breakdown and and a, and a cool like a cool little look into right when you get to Chicago, right when you show up as a rookie, that rivalry is preached and is talked about and it's ingrained in you from the very beginning, from the very jump. So that was cool to that was cool to hear about. I think I'm going to cut up some of the highlights, maybe post a clip on Twitter. And now that the season is over, Khalil Herbert is now back on Twitter, uh, and maybe he'll maybe he'll see it. So I appreciate it. You can tweet me during the show. We don't have phones this week because we're broadcasting live at Radio Row in Las Vegas leading up into the Super Bowl. But you can tweet me, at Wisco Grant. I almost forgot today that the NBA trade deadline was going on. So I was checking Twitter throughout the show, but also you know on the air with Bill, trying to rope around guests and bring them around to table number 69. We are table 69 of like 200 tables, which is, come on, I don't care how old you are. I don't care who you are. That's that's funny. That's good, clean. Well, maybe not clean, but it's, it's, good, it's good comedy. That's for sure. So I was checking on the trade deadline. The Bucks made a, a trade today. They give up campaign second rounder to get Patrick Beverly. And I guess it's a good fit. Here's the thing, though. Okay, like, have you ever seen Veep? Have you ever seen the show Veep? It's one of my favorite shows. And I think pound for pound, like, maybe one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. Just, like, quantitatively. Like, the amount of jokes and the amount of punchlines per minute or per scene. It's just higher than any other show I think I've ever watched. Maybe not the most, like, laugh-out-loud moments, but just always being funny, always making jokes, right? So would recommend Veep. And I don't want to spoil, although it's been off the air for, like, five years, so get with it a little bit. It's basically the show is Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character is the vice president at the very beginning, and all of the seasons are her quest to become president. And she takes all these different twists and turns, and there's lots of different elections, right? And an election arcs throughout the course of a season it makes for great television like parks and rec i think some of the best television in that show was when leslie nope is running for office and then sometimes the election happens and you're like okay now what what is the show gonna be about what are we actually gonna talk about so the elections they have multiple throughout veep you know she's going through all these different storylines and by the end of the show as she gets closer and closer to becoming president the theme and i think the takeaway that the viewer is supposed to have is like are you sure wait a minute are you sure you want this like, how, how badly do you actually want to do this? Because you start to realize over the show, and it's like it's a comedy and it's satire, but there's a lot of real themes throughout. It's like the amount of things you have to give up to become president, like the pieces of yourself maybe that you have to lose and the loved ones around you and your employees and your coworkers that you maybe have to torch to get there. It's brutal. Like, are you sure you want to be president if it costs, you know, everything? And that's kind of how I feel about the It's kind of how I feel about the Bucks right now. Um, I obviously want them to win a championship, and I want them to get back, and I want them to be back in an NBA Finals, and I want them to get over the hump, and they've came up short the last two years, first against the Celtics and then against the Heat last year, and I want them to get back. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I want, like, my wholesome basketball team to just win 48 games a year and, like, maybe make the playoffs here and there and, and be fun and wholesome. That's, that's not what I want. But as, I, as I've watched the Bucks over the last couple of years, it's like, man, the things you have to do and the things that you have to sacrifice and the hard choices that you have to make en route to, to getting to your ultimate goal, it can be pretty brutal. Like, think of the timeline the last few years, right? They fire Bud. 
had to happen. Most people would 100% fully agree with that. I would say that the people now who are like, the Bucks never should have fired Bud, I, I think that's disingenuous. I don't think that's... I think that's revisionist history. And it sucked to fire Bud. Right? He won the Bucks their first title in 50 years, lost his brother in the midst of a playoff. Like, it's tough. But it had to happen, okay? Traded Drew Holiday. He had the most iconic steal in alley-oop in franchise history. He was a big part of that acquisition, got them over the hump, won them a title. He was a champion of the city, him and his wife, Lauren Bowles, just amazing, outstanding people. You don't want to trade them away. You don't want to deal them like uh, like a trading card or, or a, a, ch- a bargaining chip in a deal. That, that just sucks. But it had to happen. And then they fire Adrian Griffin, and they hire Doc Rivers. They're paying, what, three coaches at once now. It's like, in politics, it's like, well, we had this scandal. We're going to fire this aide and... You know, that that will that will show that we're taking responsibility. Oh, uh, there was an information leak. Uh, This person's going to have to fall on the sword. Right. There was this this uh, malfeasance within an administration. Somebody's got to go to prison. It's going to be, you know, this person. So I'm not completely equating scandal and, and, you know, criminal activity in politics to what the Bucks are doing. But it's like, all right, this didn't work. Fire Griffin. This didn't work. Hire Doc Rivers. We're going to pay multiple coaches at once. This is not going to be a streamlined pretty process, but it's a results-oriented business, and we're going to do what it takes. Okay. And then today the Bucks acquire Pat Beverly. And maybe in two weeks I'll love him. Probably will. It was the case with P.J. Tucker, too. But, man, now i got to cheer for this guy. Pat Beverly. Who's I get? Like, I forgot he has beef with Dame going back a couple of years ago or they I don't know if it's beef but like he made some comments and I I don't know if that's constituted as beef like Damian Lillard and Patrick Beverly are not on the same playing field they're not even close so to say that those two players can have beef "Eh." I I don't know if beef is the right word but they've had some awkwardness in the past give it two weeks they'll be over it it'll be fine but I'm just looking at all the steps and all the things the Bucks the tough decisions they've had to make Firing this guy, trading away this guy, firing this guy. And I thought maybe, you know, they, they decide they, they have a trade that they like and they deal Bobby Portis. It's like, man, another champion of Milwaukee and another huge part of a title run and another guy that's beloved by the fans. We're going we're to trade him away, even if it nets the Bucks a good return and it ups their odds of winning a title. It's like, man, you're losing a little piece of yourself every step of the way. I think this is a good trade if you just look at the player profile of Patrick Beverly. First of all, they gave up campaign, who was basically doing nothing for them. He was giving some, you know, some point guard minutes off the bench. He'd get some shots up. He could hit some shots here and there and occasionally score points. But the Bucks traded okay offense and really bad defense for bad offense and really good defense and, and good defense at a position of need, a PON, a pawn. Right, They needed a perimeter defender. They could still use more, but they basically had no good perimeter defenders. Now they have one, so they've made an improvement in that department. And I don't know that campaign's offense is a loss. Folks, this Bucks team is not complicated, okay? The way this team was constructed and the path to them winning a championship is not complicated. Damian Lillard has to be awesome. And he has to hit big shots in big moments. And he has to carry the offense against really good defenses in the postseason when things get tight. And he has to elevate Giannis. And Giannis has to elevate him. Like, you can rearrange all of the exterior pieces, right? You can go from, you know, Drew Holiday uh, to Bobby Portis to Campaign to Patrick Beverly. And Drew Holiday probably doesn't belong in that group. But you can you can shuffle around the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh man 
and you can find little advantages here and there and, and maybe get one or two percent better. But the only way that this works, campaign or Patrick Beverly or Bobby Portis or Andre Jackson Jr., right? The only way this works is if Damian Lillard is awesome and he's awesome in big moments and he's awesome against bad defense. And the haul that they gave up to get him, right, is, is reflective of that. The money that he's been paid over the course of his career is reflective of that. Like he is that type of player. He costs that type of money. He fetches that type of return. It's like, yeah, the, the, this player profile, his statistical background, the history, like he's that guy. He needs to be that guy for the Bucks to be great. And I know a lot has been made of the Bucks defense. I think when the, the cloud settles, the dust settles with Doc Rivers, the defense will be fine. I, I don't think this Bucks team be made or broken by whether they have the 12th best defense or the 9th or the 16th best defense, or the 13th. I think that's small potatoes. Is Dame awesome? Is Dame the missing offensive piece? Is Dame the guy in crunch time when things get tight against the Celtics or things get tight against the Heat? Is Dame the guy who can shake things loose and hit big-time shots and create opportunities for Giannis, maybe in the pick-and-roll or in the lob game? If Dame can't be that guy, then I don't really think anything else matters because that was the thought process. That was the equation going into the season. And I think it was as good a bet as any, right? Trading Drew Holiday was a risk, and breaking up a core that won a championship is a risk. Totally. But would you rather run back that team and hope that it's different in the third go-round post-championship? Like, would you rather hope, well, this time Chris Middleton's going to be healthy and nails on defense, and this time Drew Holiday's going to have a great offensive run, and this time Giannis is going to hit all his free throws, so in crunch time we'll be covered. Like, I think that bet is a tougher one to make than let's bring in Damian Lillard, who on paper solves most of our problems and most of our shortcomings last year. Not a guarantee, right? But betting on Damian Lillard coming in and being great in a situation where he has something to prove alongside the best player he's ever played against, no disrespect to, you know, C.J. McCollum or Yusuf Nurkic, you know, for you Nurk stands, there are none, uh, certainly none listening to the show. We can talk about the minor details all you want. If Damian Lillard is an awesome and awesome in Ben Bowens, I just don't think it matters. So, great, they added a pointed attack defender. I think that will help. I also don't think their defense will be the issue by the end of the year. Now, Patrick Beverly might make them markedly better slightly better I think he will but really when you watch the Bucks, it's like okay does Dame look comfortable does he look like he's fitting with Giannis do they look like a pair that can really do damage against elite defenses in tight moments if so okay this is a championship team and you figure out the little parts and you smooth out the bumps as the season goes along but if Damian Lillard and Giannis don't look like they're really meshing together and Damian Lillard isn't providing offense against good defenses in big moments then I you know it doesn't matter I don't think we're going to look back at the end of this year and be like damn they were close but the Patrick Beverly trade cooked him. Like, no, that's that's small potatoes and really irrelevant to the big picture and the main idea of this team, which is Dame coming in and solving all of their problems that they had in the postseason against the Celtics and against the Heat in the playoffs the last two years. Let's take a five-minute break. We'll continue the Wisco Sports Show. Maybe the Brewers made a signing. They keep finding their way into the news, even though we're here at Super Bowl Radio Row in Las Vegas, the Mandalay Bay Convention Center. This place rips. I'm having a ball, so thanks for listening. Tweet me at Wisco Grant. We're back in five minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
Wisco Sports Show. Appreciate you listening, following along this week. The show's been a little different. I, as a consumer of sports radio first, I do this job not because I like to hear myself talk and not because I like attention, although that is part, that's part of it. Uh, <laughs> Zach was giving me guff about this like two weeks ago. I was trying to convince him, like, no, I don't do this job because I like attention. And Zach just looked at me a little. I would deny it more, and he would just stare a little more intently at me. I'm like, okay, yeah. If you work in radio or television or some sort of public-facing job, like, you know, you love the attention on some level. I would not listen to myself talk for two hours a day if I didn't somewhat like the sound of my own voice. But I've been a passionate listener of sports radio for a long time. I just love it. I think it's this really cool community. Uh, And when you get a good host that connects with a lot of listeners and callers and guests, like, it's just a cool thing that you get to be a part of every day it's the soundtrack to how i wake up and how i spend my free time how i work out you know listening to radio or listening to podcasts and historically radio row has never really been my favorite week of the year uh in fact most years i really ripped on it because it's like i don't want to hear from this random guest and i don't want to hear from this guy who's peddling this product and i but deep in my mind i'm like okay but if i get to go to radio row one day uh well, then it's different. Then it's <laughs> then it's different because because then I get to be there. Because uh, then then it's then it's then it's different. Uh, then it then it's a me problem all of a sudden. So I understand like it's it's not my um, my favorite week to listen to, but I'm doing the best I can here to get like some of the regular guests, some of the normal guests, uh, and also like we had Khalil Herbert on, and Khalil Herbert's talking about like a neck collar that a lot of pro athletes use, a lot of NFL players use. It's used by lacrosse players and hockey players as well. But, like, also, we get to talk to a running back who plays for the Bears in person. Like, it's not on the phone. He's sitting at the table. And we get to ask him about, you know, the rivalry with the Packers and what's that like. You know, you get to Chicago, you're immediately, like, brainwashed would be a negative spin. Uh, you're you're instantly ingratiated into that rivalry and that culture of we hate Green Bay. Green Bay sucks. They are an enemy. Uh, on a higher level than any other team that we might happen to line up against on a Sunday afternoon, right? So it's really cool to, to hear those conversations, I think. And I'm doing my best to kind of keep a normal show feel because historically, as a listener, Radio Row isn't my favorite week. Um, Bill's show today was really cool. We had the Pawn Stars guy. Greg Cosell in the first hour was absolutely unbelievable. Greg Cosell, during the NFL season, he goes on Colin Cowherd once a week. Like, he does big shows. So I'm familiar with the work of Greg Cosell to be able to sit at the table with Bill and with Greg this morning and listen to him talk about Jordan Love. What does he see in film study watching Jordan Love? What does he think? Like, talking about Dontavian Wicks and talking about Jaden Reed and all these guys. It's like, man, this guy rules. And we get to have him at the table today. Greg Cosell was really good. Who else did we have? I said the, the Pawn Stars guy. Chase Daniel. NFL Network has been awesome to us this week. We had Michael Robinson yesterday. Chase Daniel uh, earlier today in the final hour. I'd recommend you go listen to that in the podcast. Really good breakdown. Donald Driver's going to be on the show tomorrow. We pre-recorded with him. Here's what's funny. Uh, and here I'm going to talk about myself and the experience at Radio Row because some of this stuff is too ridiculous to not share. And I think most of you will find it interesting i hope so as the week goes along it gets busier and busier and there's more and more star power like early on in the week it was a lot of uh should i say ball knowers like the pff guys are everywhere and eric eager and thomas dimitrov who are two of my favorite analysts eric eager's just one of my favorite people on the planet doing every show from 6 a.m to 6 p.m and they're talking ball and they're previewing the super bowl and it's a lot of 
diehard NFL people. And then as the week goes along, there are, I mean, geez, players, uh, actors, TV people, just everybody who's famous. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was on set with McAfee earlier today. Right? Like, really, really high-level famous people. And I had not really been starstruck at any point this week. Because also, like, we're here working. Like, I got to find guests for Bill, and I got to prep my show. And so it, it is work. It's cool. But it's it's work, so it's easy to focus on your work. And when you're in the bathroom and you walk past, you know, Pat McAfee, it's like, well, he's here working, too. It's, it's very easy to feel normal in this environment. I've only been starstruck once this week, and it happened this afternoon. I'm sitting at Bill's table, and I'm typing on my laptop, and I look up, and... Four rows down, and thank God he was sitting the way that he, I wouldn't have even seen him. Uh, I didn't see him but for the three or four minutes that he was at that table, and then he walked by. It's Bobby Flay. And I, I understand that that doesn't mean that much to probably a lot of you. As someone who only watched Food Network growing up and only watched Animal Planet, like that was my entire childhood. It was Steve Irwin and everyone on Food Networks. So we're talking about Chopped and Beat Bobby Flay and Next Food Network Star. Like, those shows, man. That was my childhood. Emeril Lagasse. I went I went dressed as Emeril Lagasse for Halloween one year. Like, I, these, these, are my, these are my childhood heroes. I, I feel like Onabam, who's like Kurt Hogan, Adam McKelvey. These are, these are my heroes. Food Network chefs legit are my heroes. Like, not sarcastically. And we're sitting at the table, and I go, oh, my God, it's Bobby Flay. And everyone looks at me. They're like, really? Like, yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was less than 100 yards away with Pat McAfee today. I really didn't bat an eye. Like, it's cool, but no level of being starstruck. And Bill's floor producer, Erica, who's with him every year, is like, do you want a picture? I'm like, actually, yes. And I haven't even contemplated taking a picture with anyone this year. We had Donald Driver at our table earlier today. Everyone took a picture with him. I'm like, mm, I'm good. I got, I got my picture with Bobby Flay. It's the one person I've been here. It's like, I think I will die if I don't have a memory of this. And now I wish to, when I die, I wish to be buried with this picture of Bobby Flay. I tweeted it out at Wisco Grant. And I told Bobby really quickly, Erica was like, hey, my friend. Erica was like my mom in this interaction because I don't like bothering people. She's like, hey, like, could you take it? Like, this guy really wants a picture with you. I'm behind her like I'm her six-year-old son. And he's like, oh, 100%. And I told Bobby, he's like, Bobby, I'm the biggest sports fan in the world. Like, this is the sports center of the universe. I have not been starstruck this week. I am I am in awe of you, Skew, and he's laughing because it's ridiculous. But if you grew up watching Food Network every night, you'd watch Emerald Live and Next Food Network star as a family. Beat Bobby Flay is still so unbelievably good. Iron Chef America, oh, my God, Bobby. Bobby Flay did not lose on Iron Chef America. You just could not touch him. And I remember, like, within the last two years, I did a segment on this show <sighs> I think where I have to go back and find it. It's somewhere in my Google draft. I'm going to go look over this commercial break. I did a segment where I compared every starter in the Brewers rotation to an iron chef. I'm going to go, I'm going to go find it. It exists somewhere. I don't know if I'll dig up the audio, but I'm going to find like my notes where I assigned each one. I think Brandon, I think Brandon Woodruff was Bobby Flay. I think I'll have to go back and look, but like truly, and I, there is no sarcasm in my voice when I say this. Truly met one of my childhood heroes and icons, Bobby Flay, today, and got to take a picture. That was cool. I can go home now. I have not even considered asking anyone for a picture this week, and I'm like, I think I have to do it. And if he's mean to me and says no, then I'm not coming home from Las Vegas because I'm going up to the foundation room or the founder's room or whatever it's called in Mandalay Bay, and I'm jumping off. And they will scrape my body off the parking lot because I don't want to be alive anymore. 
Uh, but I did get the picture. So we're all good. I'll come back from Vegas on Saturday uh, with Bill and everyone else. We're all good. I tweeted out the picture. It is now my most prized possession. And this possibly the most important day of my life until I get married or have kids. And even then, it might be close. Uh, unless Bobby Flay's at my wedding. Then it's then it's very clear uh, that that would be the best day of my of my life. Go look at the picture. I tweeted it out at Wisco Grant. We're going to take our final break of the hour. Three minutes. We'll wrap things up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Any day now. Wisco Sports Show. I will hear you say. My name is Grant Bills. Twitter. At Wisco Grant, a little bit ago, I tweeted out my favorite picture I've ever taken. Maybe the best moment of my life. Probably the best moment of my life. Until my wedding or the birth of a child, possibly. We'll see. I need to experience it first to be able to say that definitively. I met Bobby Flay today. Got my picture taken with him. He truly is one of my heroes. If you're not a Food Network kid, I can't make you understand it. See, this is, this is why some of you probably think I'm so freaking weird. Is because my childhood had a couple very specific niches and I carry these niches with me passionately to this day. For example, I was raised on Jimmy Buffett, like from the womb, the same way we talked to Khalil Herbert about an hour ago. He's like, Hey, the moment you arrive in Chicago as a rookie or as a free agent, as a veteran, it doesn't matter. The moment you get to Chicago, you are lectured and talked to and ingratiated into the rivalry of green Bay versus Chicago and what it means to play the Packers and, and the history and everything about it. It's like, it's very clear, right? It, it's the same way with Jimmy Buffett, like from a very young age. Like, it's just something that you're in or you're out. And I had a couple college roommates, both of them raised as parent heads. Parents diehard Jimmy Buffett fans, always went to see Buffett at Alpine in the 90s. And if you're not raised in a home like that, this is <laughs> like a nature versus nurture thing. If you're not raised in a home like that where you're listening to Buffett right from the jump, like you might pick him up and you might be like, oh, I kind of like that song. And like, ah, well, when we're out drinking, like I like listening to Margarita. Like you can you can appreciate Jimmy Buffett, but you can't truly understand Buffett as like the cultural touchstone that it is for some people that were truly raised on him, on him. Okay. And there are people my age and I know there's, there's listeners to the show. I think cone roller cone roller was the same, right? Cone rollers, parents got it right. And he now gets it. Like he understands what it, it's like a little club and I'm, and I'm not gatekeeping by the way, like everyone should listen to Jimmy Buffett. But if you were raised on him and it's a, it's a foundational part of your childhood as a millennial or as a Gen Z kid, like, you, you just understand it on another level. And it's the same with Food Network. Like, these people are my heroes, okay? I did not watch cartoons. I was not allowed to watch SpongeBob as a kid. And I, I didn't, like, I didn't hate it that much. I don't remember being a kid being like, I wanted to watch SpongeBob. I think probably if you would have showed me SpongeBob when I was a little tyke, I would have been like, this is really dumb. Like, Patrick Starr seems like an idiot. And also, how does he sleep under a rock? He should be crushed, right? So, I like, I don't, I don't think... I don't. I don't think I was a frustrated kid. I truly enjoyed watching. I watched. I watched The Crocodile Hunter every day when I got home from school, and I watched Food Network like every night as a family. We would watch Emerald Live, Doc Gibbs and the Emerald Live Band, and I'm like, Mom and Dad, like I want to go sit in the front row of a taping of Emerald Live someday. Like I want to sit there, and when he pulls the meal out of the oven and he takes the powdered sugar on the dessert, and he goes bam, and then he slides it down the counter to like I want to sit in that chair. 
I want to be served by Emerson. These people are my heroes. Michael Simon, uh, Bobby Flay, Ina Garten. Oh, my God. Ina Garten's food is like th- these are my heroes. And to get one of the, those people on Radio Row today and to meet him, like I could give a damn. Uh, respectfully, like Donald Driver is amazing. and It was so cool to have him today. Like not one percent of me was like, I think I'm going to ask him for a picture. Everyone else was. I was the only one in our group who didn't ask him for a picture. Bobby Flay, I'm like, yeah, I'm not leaving. N- neither of us are leaving this building. I won't allow it to happen uh, unless I get a picture with him. So that meant a lot. And I don't mean to just, like, ramble on and on about this, but um, unless you want me to break down the NBA trade deadline in detail, I guess I – well, actually, to be fair, I can't. I mostly wasn't paying attention to it today, although I am subscribed to the Bill Simmons podcast, and I just got an alert. Him and Ryan Rossillo dropped an episode today. Uh Part two. Well, I guess I'm looking at part two now. It says, uh, part one, NBA trade deadline reactions with Ryan Rossillo. Part two, the NBA trade deadline was a dud with Ryan Rossillo. I wish, you know what I miss about the NBA? I miss when players switched teams in traditional ways and at traditional times. Right? Like, I miss good old-fashioned NBA free agency. Remember that when you'd actually get to July and Kevin Durant was being courted by all these teams or like when Jimmy Butler was being courted by all the, when you could look in February and be like, this is a hell of a free agent class. There's going to be a lot of movement and you'd start wondering, okay, where's this guy going to go? This guy, Kevin Durant to Brooklyn or Kyrie Irving to Brooklyn, right? All the, all these, all these movements and you get all excited and it, it kind of fit in a moment on the sports calendar that made sense. It was carved out for that. It wasn't in the middle of the season. It wasn't in the middle of training camp. It was NBA free agency in the summer once the season was done. And that way, it didn't jack up anybody's season, and you didn't have players arriving in the middle of the year, and in a lot of instances of these big, high-profile trades with unhappy superstars, the second that that player gets to their new team, they're expected to contend. So, like, when Kevin Durant gets shipped to Phoenix, he's expected to get there right away at the trade deadline or around the trade deadline. Fair enough. But then he gets to his new team, and there's championship expectations right away. And you got to figure out in a matter of two months, right? I miss free agency, and I even miss when big names were moved at the deadline. Big names are never moved at the deadline anymore. Like Damian Lillard wasn't moved at the deadline. He expressed unhappiness, and then they took that pert near to training camp where he was dealt. Or like Ben Simmons, right? Asked for a trade with years left on his contract, and then it drags out and drags out and drags out, and it's a whole thing while the games are going on, while training camp is going on. And I, I, I guess... To sound like a bit of an old head, I miss when players switch teams in free agency and at the actual trade deadline. Because now, when players are big enough and they have enough power in their organizations and they have enough sway in the NBA, they can kind of just leave when they want. And they seem to like leaving at inopportune times for both teams involved. Like, Phoenix didn't want to acquire Kevin Durant in the middle of the year. Like, that came out of nowhere. That wasn't advantageous for either team, right? Like, I miss free agency, man. I, I miss free agency, and I miss a good old honest-to-goodness trade deadline where Jimmy Butler, like Jimmy Butler for a couple of years there, was like, maybe Jimmy Butler moves, maybe Anthony Davis moves, maybe Clay Johnson. And they didn't, but at least I thought that there was a possibility that it could happen. And today was like Buddy healed to the Sixers. That was, was basically the extent of it. A- unless I missed something big, but I don't think I did because I saw all the Woj tweets today. I have notifications for him and Shams turned on. And I, like, I saw all the tweets. None of them stuck in my mind. None of them were so important to stick in my mind. I, the, um, 
the Celtics yesterday got Xavier Tillman, I, I guess, but I also kind of thought they were fine with Luke Cornett, so I don't, I don't, I don't really know that any of these trades make a difference. They're they're shuffling around the side pieces, uh, and and the little pieces around the fringes. And again, I, I said this about a half hour ago, and we were talking about the Bucks acquiring Patrick Beverly. They need a point of attack defender. They have none. Now they have one. That's great. They could probably use more. It's probably not realistic that they have more at this point in time because you need those guys to come available. The Bucks really don't have anything to barter with, which is why they settled or, or had to choose Pat Beverly when obviously there are much better perimeter defenders, uh, much more competent offensive pieces that you'd probably prefer in that spot. Okay. But I don't know if adding one perimeter defender, if adding Patrick Beverly, like that's not... That's not fundamentally changed the core of this team. This team was put together with one idea. We bring in Damian Lillard instead of Drew Holiday. We, by and large, keep the rest of the team the same. And by and large, don't lecture me on Grayson Allen. By and large, the rest of the team is pretty much the same. But Damian Lillard is a guy who can unstick the offense in tough moments. When things get tight, he can set up Giannis so Giannis doesn't have to create it all himself. And he can create a shot in big-time, tough moments against tough defenses in the spotlight. Like That was the idea, right? And if that reality doesn't come to pass, then I think everything else is kind of irrelevant, right? It's like, um, I don't know, to use a Food Network analogy, it's like if you're making prime rib, okay? You could serve prime rib with shrimp. You could serve prime rib theoretically with mashed potatoes. You could serve it with garlic bread. You could, like, serve it with whatever you want. But if the prime rib sucks, like, I don't really know that it matters all that much, right? And in this analogy that I've forcefully put together here in a matter of about 30 seconds, like, the the prime rib is Damian Lillard. And if the prime rib sucks, okay, well, the rest of the meal, like, hey, nice job. You really nailed those mashed potatoes. Uh, but the prime rib, sorry, gave me food poisoning. Like, no one cares. Hey, you got a point of attack defender. Nice. Can Damian Lillard be the piece that they thought he was when they brought him in? Can he deliver? Because if he can... I think everything else falls into place, and I think Doc Rivers is a good enough, competent enough coach to smooth everything over and make it happen. Hour two, Wisco Sports Show next. Not a big radio row guy. Now, that being said, if my boss is listening, I mean, send me, and I want to go, and I want to try to meet famous people. The radio show won't be very good, but I'd like to head. I'd love to go. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. If you were listening and wondering uh, why that intro took a couple extra seconds, it's not because we're having technical difficulties. We lost connection or anything like that. It's because I'm an idiot and forgot to pl- and forgot to plug in my phone <laughs> to the to the to the magic radio box. Yeah, earlier on Monday, I don't know what it was. Uh, we dropped connection a couple of times, and like I appreciated you guys uh, some some very gracious listeners you are for putting up with some technical difficulties as we kind of got established here at Radio Row, uh, and very gracious guests as well because um, Matthew Collar was cut off and he's like, dude, I'll sit through the break, no big deal. Um, so it's remote broadcasting. There's going to be hiccups sometimes. That was not a technical hiccup. Uh, hiccup. That was me being an idiot and forgetting to plug in my phone. So I press play on my phone and it's 
it's playing on the speaker. It's like, no, 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 no. That needs to go through the, that needs to go through Bill's system here. We're broadcasting live at Mandalay Bay. Uh, I'm reading some tweets. You can connect with the show at Wisco Grant. I met Bobby Flay today. Did I mention I met Bobby Flay today? Truly, I say this without one ounce of sarcasm. Truly one of my childhood icons and heroes. And I think it was Casey tweeted back. Twitter, for whatever reason, let me check. It wasn't working in here earlier today. And I don't know if that was a Twitter problem or if that was an Internet problem. Okay, here we go. So I popped it back open. Casey replied to this picture. He says, I ate at his steakhouse at MGM. Legendary stuff. Ordered beers of the world. Three were from Wisconsin. Do I have to go? <sighs> so I, I don't know what the I don't know what the pricing is like. I don't know what the reservation situation is like. Here's the plan for the next two nights. Okay, tonight we have cigars with the stars, which I know Bill has mentioned a lot. I'm not a cigar smoker, but if everyone else is doing it and I get to wear a sport coat, like whatever, try anything once, or you know, I've smoked cigars before, but like as a one-off, I'll I'll do basically whatever. Socially, you know, peer pressure is a very it's a very powerful thing. And if there's famous football players around, Hall of Famers, I mean, yeah, I'll smoke a cigar. I'll smoke whatever you want. Um, so that's tonight. Tomorrow night is wide open. I'm hoping to catch up with our uh, our friend of – well, I don't know that he's ever been on the show before. He's a friend of many friends of the show, put it that way, Ryan Horvath of Bet MGM Tonight. Maybe he's got a plug over at MGM. Maybe he could get us in there. Uh, I was going to go out and gamble with him tomorrow night. I, now I feel like I got to go to Bobby Flay's Steakhouse. Casey also asked because I posted a picture of it. I tweeted a picture of it. I'm, I'm not calling it X. I refuse to do it. I tweeted a picture of me and Bobby, first name basis. And Casey said, are you tall or is he really short? No, he was taller than I thought. So I don't know if it's this picture, uh, but actually, and Erica said the same thing. Like Bobby Flay was taller than I thought he was actually in person this is my new favorite picture i'm going to post it on twitter on instagram i haven't posted on the show facebook page yet but i will the facebook page has been actually getting some run this week because um there's just a lot of like cool pictures funny pictures from opening night the other night and then like mcafee's here and like there's just so it's it's a good place normally i don't have a lot of pictures and, and content because i work out of a studio every day and the studio is pretty bitchin but like there aren't celebrities walking through every day Unless you count Ebo, of course, uh, and Zach Heilprin when we're lucky enough to be graced uh, by his presence in person to talk about Badger sports. I really wanted to. We got here this morning at 7, and because uh, the show starts at 8 out here local time. It's been a brutal week for, for sleeping and rest because we're working in central time, but I'm also trying to live it up in Pacific time. And those two things do not... Mm -mm. Uh, they don't mesh. So a uh, bad week for sleep. But we were here this morning, and Evo and Zach were talking Badgers basketball because they lost last night, and I watched it in the sports book here at Mandalay Bay. I was going to live bet him at halftime, and then I just didn't. And then I was going to live bet him again, but they were like minus 110, so I wasn't even getting plus money. And then Stephen Crowell had four fouls, and I'm like, I'm just going to stay away. And I stayed away not because I'm a sharp gambler, but mostly because I'm lazy and I didn't want to look stupid up at the desk. Uh, and well, I would have lost money anyways. So I watched that game last night. We get in, Zach and Ebo were talking about it, and I'm like like a dog with a shaking leg, like you've ever taken a lab, uh, uh, like duck hunting, and they sit there, and they're like they're just waiting for their moment. Like, I really wanted to talk Badgers hoops this morning with Zach and Ebo, but I'm like, I'm not going to invite myself onto the show. Maybe tomorrow, certainly next week. Um, and and I, I liked getting to hear them talk Badger basketball. By the way, my statement, I think it's fine. Um 
losing to Michigan sucks because I can't stand Michigan or Jawan Howard. Losing three in a row is not a death sentence. I was rudely, by the way, rudely reminded on Twitter last night that even the team in 2014-2015 had a losing streak like this. Correct. The frustrating thing about this losing streak, and the reason I was tweeting about it, is because it doesn't look like Badger. It doesn't look like Badger basketball. Like AJ Store looks lost out there. For as gifted as he is, like he's. I don't know if he's trying to play within the system and failing, or he's trying to freelance and shot create this team out of the rut but in that second half like they couldn't get an honest to goodness shot it was possession after possession after possession and if they weren't turning the ball over it was some awful low percentage shot and even if it went in i'm like okay great because some of these guys can can really bang like aj store can bang and chucky hepburn was a little bit better on offense last night he hit some tough shots but it was all tough shots so i i think and this is what i said to bill earlier i think the nebraska loss was tough but explainable I mean, it's happened two years in a row now. That's an impossible place to go play basketball. The Purdue game was tough but understandable. They're one of the best teams in the country, and it was a hard-fought game. And if the Badgers had a little flurry of three-point shots, like, they might win that game. Last night, I I don't think is explainable. Last night forces these guys and the coaching staff to be like, all right, fellas, sit down and watch some of these plays, okay? We're talented. We're confident. We're a really good team, but we need to refocus here. And this is why I said last week, Like, this team can play like this and probably even make a Sweet 16, or they can put it together and play with some of those Wisconsin fundamentals and they can make a run to the Elite Eight or the Final Four. It just kind of depends on on what they want to do. So we'll see. I think it's fine if they lose again to make it four in a row. Uh, Then we'll talk. We got a couple guests this hour. Merrill Hodge, NFL running back. He used to be at ESPN, which I have to ask him about. He's going to join us at the bottom of the hour at 530. Right now, a professional footballer. Ryan Babel is here. And I say footballer because do you do you hate being called a soccer player? Is that like a is that a you nod, yeah. You prefer footballer? I, I, I don't want to say I hate it, but um, every time when I call the soccer player I have to kind of shake my head because uh, you can tell you know immediately it's it's you know an American person that, that would you know call you that way. Do American soccer fans or football fans uh, do they know ball on the same level that you know fans actually in these countries where these leagues are? Like are there good Football fans, soccer fans in America, or are they are they kind of casuals? Yes, you have them. You have them. Uh, you definitely feel sometimes a disconnect, even though they're big fans. The passion is there. The passion is there, absolutely. You know, the love is there. But sometimes when they want to, let's say, have a conversation about situations or past games or blah, blah, that you can kind of feel the slight disconnect there but a little bit overall you can tell that um the i feel like the communities are growing in the yeah. u.s and uh i like that i like to see that yeah it's 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 certainly burgeoning it's growing so i'm in a group chat with some buddies and they're always talking about liverpool yeah and arsenal and i like i don't understand it i've tried to watch soccer <laughs> i get into the world cup you know the big events because it's just super fun to get together and watch yeah. very ignorantly like right, i don't always know right, what's going on right you've been all over the place you played in liverpool for years you played for ajax so tell me just a little bit about what the career of a professional football footballer i almost said football player a professional footballer like what is that like traveling around playing for different clubs like paint a picture because i I don't think there are a lot of football or soccer fans that listen to this show well you have to know that before you become professional you already have like almost a whole career in the academy trying to make it out there so my career actually started at age seven and that's when you try to already get in tune with development in order to get picked by a big team so imagine let's say 
the Chiefs, you know, they're professional, mm -hmm. but then they would also have, let's say, I don't know if they do, but then it, if that translates, they also have a whole academy starting from seven where you can already be picked for. And then they try to develop you the whole journey until you're 18 or 17 to become a professional. That's where you get your contract and that's where you make your professional game. So I started at seven. Uh, going through uh, an academy, you know, in Ajax, Amsterdam. I was 16 when I got my contract. I was 17 when I started playing my first professional game. And now I'm 37. I retired three months ago. So I had a 20-year career. So that's similar to baseball and baseball teams in America. So they have, you have the major league club and then you have like all the levels of the minor leagues. Exactly. You don't join the minor leagues until a later age. You're not starting at seven. Okay. Do you think the American, and I don't know how much you know about American football, but it's it's college kids, so these universities have a team, and then you're just picked. But you're not you're not a part of a team until you're selected. You're not paid really until you're selected. Is that really bizarre to you? And is that very different? And is that like does that weird you out almost? Yeah, it's, it's very different because we don't necessarily have school teams. So as you grow in every age category, you just have school, and then you have to figure out a way to still try make it to. Uh, a team and play yeah. and develop right because often the school system out there they don't really take in consideration that you're trying to become a professional yeah okay so i'm learning along with you and, and when and when i talk to Brittany, who's like hey do you want ryan babylon it's like yes because i actually want to learn about soccer right like i'm in all these group chats and they're going nuts you played for liverpool yeah was that let me ask you this your favorite stop in your career the favorite your favorite club that you played with where you had your most success tell me about that experience just to start off uh, well I, I i played for a lot of teams i've been uh, traveling and, and and moving countries a lot over you know the past 20 years um the majority of my career i've lived in turkey i played for four different teams in istanbul um in all honesty if you look at my career i came up uh, when i was 17 but in all uh to be honest to actually be in my peak i was 28 29 okay the years before were a lot of ups and downs um i think i'm mostly known for globally by my time in liverpool mm -hmm. but i was still very young i joined them when i was 20 i played four years more or less for them with a lot of uh, ups and downs i played i had a lot of great memories great uh, games but i also had a lot of downs you know um, um again you know coming from holland to England. England is, is basically considered the number one league in the world okay. when it comes to playing football. And the Dutch league is not as high as the England league. So if you go from a very, let's say respectfully, a tiny league all of a sudden to the English league, there's a lot of adaptation. And especially if you're young, you can struggle. And, and I struggled. I had a lot of ups and downs, but it was an incredible experience. Where is the prime of a footballer at that level because you said you started at a very young age like for football players if you're a running back for say we had a, a running back for the chicago bears earlier you get to around 30 and it's like you're not done done but you start to look at a player like that differently they're not going to make as much money teams are going to be more cautious with contracts so what's the window like in football and can you really be a, a high level player and maybe in some of these more physical sports you see you see the times slowly changing in terms of that but actually yeah age 30 also is kind of an age where teams kind of be like oh he's 30 so we are being more careful with yeah. giving him longer contracts yeah. they always prefer the younger players sure. right yeah uh, usually 
uh, being in your prime is considered from, I would say, between 26 and 29. Okay. Yeah. That's not that different than football. Like in basketball, it, it's wild because in the NBA, for example, the National Basketball Association, you're drafted right out of college after one year. You're 18. And you're not often thought of your best version of yourself until you're 26. Yeah. Which is which is nuts because you're in the league for seven years before you're really thought of as peaking. Which is cool. That's a, that's a lot of room for growth. But also, that's so much time where you're trying to figure out how to be a professional. Whereas in, in football, that's really the idea from the jump. It seems like you're learning to be a professional a lot early age. Or like Absolutely. Early age. Absolutely. Okay. And, and especially if you look at today, you have the likes of Kylian Mbappe who's, who has achieved so much already but before he was age 23 Mm -hmm. um you know you would almost ask like how much more can he show and 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 improve you know uh, he he won a world cup he 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 had uh, another world cup where he lost the final of course against argentina he he won multiple trophies with psg um a lot of successes individually and he was he's still so young right yeah um and consider to to for him to be at his prime maybe when he's 26 27 um the question is <laughs> how much better can he still get because he's already incredible what do you get better at is is it a lot of mental stuff like what are the what are the little things you you like killing Mbappe could get better yeah, at yeah so usually usually it's like what what you see with players when they are talented and all over the place they're good but they're just not as experienced let's say in front of uh, let's say the goal right to 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 to, to hit the ball in a certain way, to have the calmness over you in situations, um, um, and and to read a game, right? Uh, often reading a game is where players lack, and that's the difference with world-class players and average players, right? Reading a football game, what is asked at this particular moment from you as player, um, whether it's dribbling, whether it's passing, whether it's waiting, whether it's putting pressure on the opponent, if you as player can read and understand a game to its max that's where you can kind of show the difference with an average player in a world class what player. you need to do so that might mean doing less right if you're playing with a lead or, or you really feel confident right not trying to do too much so exactly. there's, see there's some parallels between between soccer or football of course and, and other sports so <laughs> yes. so ryan now you work as a music executive and you're producing docuseries for athletes so tell me first of all about music like how do you go from footballer turned music exec? You obviously have a passion for that. Yeah, well, I mean, I have to point out that I, I started being executive uh, already during my career. So I've been already, uh, well, I, people call it executive. Uh, I'm, I'm very humble giving me myself that title. But It's a loaded word. Yeah. If someone called me an executive, I'd be like, let's take it. Exactly. Easy. I don't exactly, know about all that. Exactly, right? So I started uh, a music company in 2009 uh, trying to develop uh, uh, artists. And, um, you know, I had little, little, I don't want to call them successes yet, but I had little successes in terms of developing artists and then deliver them to an, a major label, for example, you know. Sure. So, so um, that has been my experience overall. Right now, I'm trying to build something more sustainable with a group of people also out here in the U.S. who, who are based in Los Angeles. Uh, Brian Kennedy, uh, of course, is one of the you know, uh, solidified producers, Grammy Award winners who produced a lot of Rihanna stuff, uh, Disturbia, Chris Brown stuff, CeeLo Green stuff. Um, you know, he's a, he became a good friend of mine, and, and we're trying now to see how we can put something together to, that is more sustainable to keep artists longer under our umbrella. Did you pick up different musical sensibilities as you played in different countries? 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The the nice thing about uh, living in different countries, for example, I live for a very long uh, uh, time in Turkey. Mm -hmm. uh, Turkey on itself uh, has a lot of people. The population is immense, and they have their own like pop culture going on in Turkish culture, going on and. Yeah, you can like really be an, an incredible celebrity only in Turkey alone and sell millions and millions, uh, uh, you know, of, 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 of records. And yeah. that's crazy. That's cool. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you. And I hope I don't come across. Well, I am ignorant about football. Uh, <laughs> you at least admit it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Oh, I was not going to try to fool anyone in, in this conversation. So right. thank you for, for helping me better understand and sharing your story. This is awesome, man. I thank you so it. much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Enjoy your time you. at the Super Bowl out here thank in you. Vegas. Ryan Babel, that's a cool story. I'm I'm such a, a football dope, a football dope, a soccer dope. I'll, I'll maybe I'll go back to calling it soccer after he walks away. But three minutes, we'll come back. Merrill Hodge, we'll talk American football after talking a little European football. Merrill Hodge is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. I have one very specific thing that I want to ask Merrill about, and I hope that he responds to it because if not, I will have to I'll have to figure out something else to talk about. It'll be fine either way. But there's very one specific thing. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to talk to Merrill. He'll join us in just a little bit. It's the Wisco Sports Show live from Radio Row. We'll be back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. A couple different fun conversations this week. Talking with Ryan Babel, who's a footballer, played Liverpool. I got his whole resume here in front of me uh, and works as a music producer, now doing production work in Los Angeles. And I, uh, my, my interviewing, like, if I have a guest on to talk about a topic that I know nothing about, I, I'm not, I'm not fooling anyone <laughs> and, and by the way it doesn't benefit for me to lie like i can't ask him high level soccer questions if i try to fake it he will know right so hearing a little bit about a career imagine traveling all over europe right and at first when he said that oh, i played all over europe and all these different leagues spent time in turkey spent time and you know he's from holland he's from the netherlands but in the premier league right which is one of the best leagues i don't i don't think i didn't i didn't want to sit here and completely comb his resume while we were talking, I don't know if he played in the Bundesliga. Uh, I, I don't know, but played all over the continent, right? And at first, when you hear that, it's like, man, you traveled everywhere. That's nuts. Like, you must have felt like you were never, you never had a home. Like, what, what a lifestyle. But then you consider the geography of Europe and the geography of the United States. It's not really, it's not really different than I once played for the Los Angeles Rams, then the Cleveland Browns, then the Miami Dolphins. Like, I don't know the exact mileage, but. That's pretty comparable to going from Germany to London to Turkey, right? Like when you consider the size of those moves and the and the the size of the the European continent, uh, it's actually just pretty similar to moving cross country or even you know halfway across the country in the United States. But also, those are individual countries with their own different cultures. And with Turkey, and Ryan, I, I thought made a really good point that I probably needed to hear, and everyone else did. Like Turkey's freaking huge, Turkey. Ukraine, those countries, we don't think about those countries uh, because, I mean, I, we wouldn't think about Ukraine if not for what's going on over there. We don't think about those countries often. They're massive, massive producers of food, massive experts, like big-time shipping ports. They're huge, huge countries with subcultures in and of themselves. And 
I just I wish I would have asked him more, but we were kind of running out of time. You know, as someone who now works in music, music production, and you're trying to identify artists, what is it like to live in London for a couple of years or, or live and play in the Premier League and, and and listen to music there and then completely move to a different country and, and get a little bit of a load of that and then go to Turkey and, oh, my God, like now there are different sounds. Picking up on all those different musical sounds from different cultures and, and, and different subcultures within, right, those countries, like within Turkey, there's probably lots of different styles, right, and different cultures. So I think that'd be cool. If we, if we were to go back and break down the film on that interview, I would have liked to get to that part of the interview a little bit more so I could ask a little bit more about that. But that's fine. We, we live and we learn. Next time we talk to a professional footballer, uh, maybe I'll do a better job. One of my buddies is listening, and he's in the group chat that I kept referencing. They are furious that I painted them as Liverpool fans. You guys chill. They're like, we're Arsenal fans. You guys sound like children. The, the footballer's not sitting here anymore. Now I don't need to pretend like come on come on on. my buddy's like he's saying that we're liverpool fan what difference does it arsenal liverpool i know there's a big difference and i'm not a soccer fan so of of course i'm calm down okay i just needed a reference i was like i don't watch football but some of my buddies do and let me tell you i just needed an in with the interview okay so let's calm down in the group chat it's like it's sunday morning and there's soccer being played i also have like and, and this is not anti-soccer, anti-football sentiment. This is anti-human sentiment. It is a little much when I go on Twitter Saturday, Sunday mornings when there's football being played. And I swear that people are only tweeting about it to show that they're watching. And hey, don't get me wrong. I do the same thing. If I watch an entire Bucks game and it's the fourth quarter, I kind of feel like I need to tweet just to kind of show to the listeners, show to, show to the rest of the group, like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm watching. Like, I'm not... I'm not blowing off this game only to come on the air to talk about it tomorrow and talk through my butt. Like, no, I'm watching. I'm, I'm here. So I, I get it a little bit. But some folks, like, when you tweet Arsenal with three exclamation points, it's like, okay, we get it. You like you like soccer, right? You like you like football. Good 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 for you. You, you want the pat on the, <laughs> the pat on the back? We had such a good conversation about football with a footballer, and now I'm just dumping on the sport. I'm not a little bit. I'm dumping, I guess, more on football fans than I am on the actual sport of football. But really cool for Ryan to drop by. He's got like 3 million Instagram followers. I'm like, Jesus, who is this guy? Bobby Flay? I if Bobby, I will form tackle Bobby Flay and drag him to this table if he makes the rounds again. I, I don't think he is. I think he probably dipped, but um, just in case. We're going to talk to Merrill Hodge in just a couple minutes. He used to be at ESPN. He was running back for the Steelers, a couple other teams in the 90s. I have one very specific question that I want to ask him. I hope he remembers what uh, I'm referencing in this question. Maybe we can talk about it for a couple minutes. We just talked about playing in the NFL. He's on with Bill earlier today. He was awesome. So let's take our break. Five minutes. We'll be back with Merrill Hodge on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show it's been a fun show tonight ryan babel i'm getting roasted in my group chat because i don't know football uh which is true but really cool to talk to ryan he's played all over spent some time in liverpool Uh, i didn't use the accent when i was around him that probably probably disrespectful to someone who's had a career like that (laughs) had so much success merrill hodge gonna join us uh in just a couple minutes played running back 
in the NFL for the Steelers, uh, alongside very good running back. I know him for his time at ESPN because he was there. I don't know when he began and when he ended. I have a very specific memory of Merrill Hodge at ESPN, and I'm excited to ask him about it. I feel like it's a coin flip chance that he remembers it. So here's the thing. I've been on the air every day for... Let's see, 2024, 2018, what is going on? Five, six years? It'll be going on six years in August. It's about five and a half years now. Yeah, pretty close to five and a half years. Can we all recognize that I just did that? Um, At least I believe that's correct. About five and a half years I've been on the air. I feel like I have a pretty good memory for everything that I've said. Like, you couldn't tell me, you know, this date, this month, this year, when this team did this, what did you say? No, I, I I, I wouldn't remember that. But, like, big-picture trends. Like, remember the 2019 Packers? What were you saying about them? And I feel like I'd, I'd be able to give you a, a couple touch points. And I feel like if you told me a very memorable game from that year, I might be able to remember some pretty specific stuff. I have a pretty good memory for big takes on this show. Pretty good memory for what guests might say. Pretty good memory for, like, big... If it, if it happens on air, if it happens on a podcast... Like I have a pretty good, I have a very good audio memory. Does that make sense? Like if I hear something, I have a very good musical memory. Um, it, it just sticks in my head, and I hope that Merrill's the same way. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it'll be a good interview either way. But I have something very specific that I want to ask him about, and uh, he should be over here at any time. I'm kind of looking over my shoulder. The NBA trade deadline happened today. I think it's kind of odd that the NBA trade deadline is Super Bowl week. Now, obviously, I'm at the Super Bowl and we're at Radio Row so I am in this weird I'm in this weird bubble of all these NFL people but yet I'm not really that closely talking about the Niners or the Chiefs it's more a celebration of the season talking to players and yeah we're getting takes about the Super Bowl and if the Packers were in it would be different naturally especially for the show or Bill's show but I am not very 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 closely in tune with what the Super Bowl discourse is Part of that is I haven't really had time to check. Like, I haven't listened to what Cowherd has been saying. I've been unplugged with my favorite show, First Things First, this week, just because once I get off the air, I kind of want to be done with content and maybe, you know, go get a drink or go do whatever. It's Las Vegas, so trying to make the most of it. But, like, I know Kyle Shanahan mentioned something about the slippery practice field, and, I like, that hasn't been talked about in here, really. Now, with some of the Chiefs people and the Niners people, yeah, maybe. But big picture, not really. And then... Like, I also think there's fatigue. We're on the second week now of previewing the Super Bowl, and I can't really do the Brock Purdy thing anymore. Like, how good is he really? I, you know what? At, at this point, I'm not even really sure that I care. I just don't <laughs> I just don't want to talk about it anymore, if I'm being 100% honest. I, I don't really care. I don't care enough to have the debate. It's like, well, how good is he really? Is he a game manager? Is he a game whatever? Like, I, I, I think I'm just over the narrative at this point. Um and I, I, I can't do another week of Brock Purdy debates because there's always somebody on one half of the table that's, like, super pro Brock Purdy, like, blind faith in Brock Purdy. That's their slant. And then the guy on the other half of the table is like, no, he's actually terrible. And, like, it's always more extreme than it needs to be. And it's really frustrating. And we got it all last week. I don't now need it for five more days. So we're kind of insulated. The NBA trade deadline being this week is a little odd. I saw Bill Simmons tweet about it. You wouldn't even know what's going on right now being in this building. Again, we're in a little bit of a bubble, but still, it is a little bit odd. 
uh, for sure. And it's tough to to know that it even happened. And the Bucks made a trade today. I'll catch up on it later tonight. We're joined now by Merrill Hodge, longtime NFL running back. Merrill, welcome back. Thank you for doing both Bill's show earlier and now this one. Uh, you got it. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Do you need a little more volume, a little less volume? A little in my ears. <laughs> and I'll be good. You'll be good? You yeah. sure? I can turn it up or down. Turn it up. Right little, for me. Little, perfect. Yeah, there, ah, so much better there. So Bill had an awesome time having you on early today. Bill, yeah. Bill's been doing this a long time. And Bill remembers you as a running back. He remembers right. your career. We're talking about it. I was born in 98. Right, right. So, my, so you don't. <laughs> my first experience with you is when you were on ESPN. Yeah. And when I talked to uh, when I talked to Stavsky about having a conversation with you, there's one very specific thing at ESPN that I remember that I wanted to ask you about. And it was the 2011 season when I watched SportsCenter or whatever every day, and the Packers were unbelievable, right? And they were looking like they were going to go undefeated, and they ended the season 15-1. and one. And I remember, for whatever reason, you were the analyst that was, like, sowing caution all throughout the year. And you had to kind of be the, like, the cold water guy. And you turned out to be correct. And they, you know, lay an egg against the Giants in week one of the postseason. And I don't know if you remember things like that, but for whatever reason, of all the things that happened in 2011, like, yeah, Merrill Hodge was the guy who was probably right all along. And I've never forgotten that. Well, well I appreciate it. I don't like to. I mean, I, I, but here's how I looked at um, well, let me back up. What I did to have the information to share with viewers, mm-hmm. and, and there's sort of really why guy got into the business um, and what it drove me is that the only way you could tell the truth about a player or a team, the honest way, mm-hmm. the only way is to watch tape. It, it, there's no way, even, even me, if I, get, if I don't have access to watching tape, I am irrelevant after two years. Okay. Like I would never come to this room and talk in, in this environment and talk about what I think about the Kansas City Chiefs or San Francisco 49ers if I haven't been able to study them, watch tape all year long. Even though you have experience as a player and you play irrelevant, game, you age out of that very quickly. Irrelevant, irrelevant. Okay. You, you can't know the truth. And, you know, the job that I, I did at ESPN, I had access to tape. I still have access to tape, and I spent a lot of time. And the reason people, players, don't do that is because it takes so much time. Yeah. It is so arduous. I mean, one game, one side of the ball can take an hour and a half Watching 65 plays can take an hour and a half, two hours, mm-hmm. sometimes longer, you yeah. know, depending on the details of stuff and what you're doing. And keep in mind, that's exactly what we did as players to get ready. There's a reason players study tape, the value of it, and the insight. And so, um, you know, I don't remember exactly 2011, but if there was stuff being set of cautious, so something was being shown, so I could see things yeah. that were the fan wouldn't see mm-hmm. um people wouldn't recognize because i always say tv lies and highlights really lie so the tv is going to give you where the ball is okay yeah. so you're going to miss 70 percent of the play i'm going to i'm going to put a highlight reel together more likely either either is either is a good reel or a bad reel but that's only going to be four or five plays yeah okay we just went through 180 for the entire game and one offense clearly could have had 70 you know 65 70 so to summarize and say a team, I can make anybody look good, I can make anybody look bad, but somewhere in line lines the truth, and in order to do that, you have to stay, and you have to watch them every week, too. You can't just, you know, pick and choose when you, you can't, want. You can't parachute in one week and try to draw. No, but there's sometimes you can miss a week. You know, I, I, there's a team that you've watched for a month, I don't have to watch them that week, I'll, I'll catch them up next week. Come back. And then know. there's, but anyway, that that's how I have used all of my, evidence to share with viewers and i've always wanted to do that just to help them that doesn't mean they're going to like it um mm-hmm. because i'm like when you're talking about a team there's going to be there's nobody's going to 
be favorable if it's, if it's not a favorable thing for yeah. their team. Uh, no fan is going to be like, you're right, my team yeah, is really yeah. bad at and that. And you know what? We're not going to win the Super Bowl, <laughs> and we are 14-0, and 0, and you know, <laughs> you're an idiot. And you yeah. know nothing what you're talking about. Yeah. So um, that's what I've always tried to do. I've never um, – I actually only did this one time where I did not – I made an evaluation, and I never watched any tape on a guy. Okay. And it was Maurice Jones-Drew. Mm-hmm. It was during the draft. And this is this was the lesson that would confirm I will never do this again. I will just be straight up. I've never watched tape. I can't tell you the truth. But we were doing the draft, and he was going to get drafted higher. And we went to commercial break. They said, we'd like you to come out and talk about Maurice Jones' troop. I said, well, um, I didn't watch any tape on him. And they go, well, here's some statistics on it. Okay? Sure. Here's, here's the measurables. Sure. And so you see, you know, 5, 9, you know, two, whatever it was. And I'm like, okay, third down back. He's not an everyday, he's not an everyday yep. player. He's not, a, he's not a pounder. He's not, you know, he's a third down back. Blah, blah, blah. And could not have been more, been more wrong. Yeah. Compl- and then when, when I started watching his career, every time I'd watch him, I'm like, oh, I'm <laughs> so steep. I'll never. And so fast forward a few weeks, a few years later, I used to play in the direct TV flag football game when we came mm-hmm. here to the Super Bowl, when that was a, a really big deal. And I'm sitting in the green room, and it's a big tent. And I, I Maurice Jones-Drew is going to be one of the, the refs. And I can tell he's staring at me, right? And I know why he's staring at me. And all of a sudden he gets up out of his chair. I forget who's next. Here he comes. I'm like, I know. I, you know. It's not going to be good. So he comes over and he says, Merrill, I said, I already know. But go ahead. And he goes, I'm watching the draft. And they go to commercial break. <laughs> and I'm like, everybody's killing me, saying I'm going to be a third down back. And then you come on there and I go, finally, the guy that's no. going to set it straight. Did that break your heart? Yes. Yeah, but, but you know what? <laughs> he was right. He's like, and he goes, and you did the same thing. <laughs> like, and I said, yep. And you know what? I never, I learned, I never did that again. And yeah. I've never forgotten that moment and the value in it. I could never, I ain't, nobody's good enough to make up stuff. And that's all you're doing is making up stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, there, you know, there's ways to look at things in a measurable way. And there's things, ways to do it in a football way. Like the draft is very much, there's, there's two ways to evaluate. Mm-hmm. There's the measurable evaluators, and these are those guys. You, you, you know them right off the bat. They start out with 6'1", 220 pounds, runs a 4'4", 40 through 5,000 yards, run this. Okay. <laughs> That's very accurate. He says zero about his skill set. Yep. And his completion percentage is 70%, okay, which is irrelevant. And mm-hmm. that means he's accurate. No, it doesn't. It means he completed 73%. That's all it means. It yep. does not mean he's accurate. This is nothing about his ability to process things and be a good decision maker. Instincts in the pocket, you name it. And he's got a big arm. Okay, another irrelevant thing. If you don't have a few things already in place, okay, you can have. Yeah. I know people have better on the Peyton Manning. Doesn't mean they can play quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then there's, you know, when you start talking about, you know, take any position, you know, you know, leverage how the feet, hips, and hands are incredible, and how they ha- take on a defender. So. That's how they usually start out. Yeah. You hear very few of the football evaluators. You hear a lot of measurable evaluators. And I'm a, a football evaluator. I'm not much into measurables. Um, they, I'll take a peek at them, but that's not going to be my definition of can they play in our league. Well, and I think even outside of football, that, that's a very real approach that folks take. You know, oh, my buddy, he knows so much about sports. You know, and I don't pretend, like, I get to host a sports show. I, like, there's lots that I don't know, but you'll have these types where they'll tell you how tall everyone is, their averages, their completion percentage, their passing numbers, but they still don't really grasp, like, okay, so you have all this information and you're really good at retaining it, right? And it makes sense to you. 
but can you use all of that to draw a picture about the player or to maybe project whether they're a good fit on a team? It's two completely different things. Well, yeah, well, listen, they're going, first of all, when you're talking about the draft aspect, they're going from one environment that is completely different than the other environment. You know, the field alone is different, okay? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't even know that. I mean, the hash marks are different. They're wider in college, so that means really college is played on the perimeter. The NFL, the houses are moved to met, are closer together. They're in the middle of the field, and the game is played in the middle. Those hash mark differences, which are about five yards, make a massive difference in how you call plays, you design plays. Sure. And in college, most of the time, my players are better than your players in a lot of college scenarios. Okay, yeah. I would argue. A lot of blowouts you know, in college. I'll argue. Okay, seventy percent of that. Okay, there's nothing like that in the National Football League. I, I don't care what your record is. They're pro players. They're pro coaches. And every Sunday is going to be difficult. You don't get five weeks where well, we're playing. I mean, you we're going to get through all our depth on our team. It ain't going to happen. Not in the National Football League. Is there an occasional blunt? Sure, but that's just not the NFL. So my guy is as good as your guy. And then it comes down to matchups and strategic, you know, um, plays and designs and then players. And so um, – you have to just evaluate a guy in college in that environment is not the easiest thing. So you have to look for particulars and find areas that you can see how they might play. So I'll give you an example of a quarterback. Okay? One of the most critical aspects of playing, being successful, if you don't, you got to have these two things to even get a start. Okay? If we don't have these two things, they are irrelevant. And you We're can't done. have one of the two. You got to be a really good processor and you got to be accurate. Okay? Now I'll just start there. Then, you know, pocket pre presence, you know, and then. You know, then you start getting into arm strength and other things. Okay, okay, let's just use those two things. Let's say you have those two things, okay? Can you function in a dirty pocket? Because in the National Football League, it's a, there's a lot of traffic around you, and you have, you can't be disturbed by that. That can't that can't fluster you. You've got to be able to perform and function, process well, and still be accurate. You, you need to retain those two things in just about any environment. Right, in all, in all settings. Okay, so I'll give you a guy, a guy who really struggled at this. Um, and I know I mean, my son played quarterback at BYU. My son has played quarterback. I, I, I coached him from age seven all the way. He went to BYU and played Zach Wilson. Okay, mm -hmm. Zach Wilson backed up Bo, my son, at BYU. So I watched Zach Wilson through his entire career. There's like five games that all he lost, both Utah games, Hawaii game, Washington game, Toledo game, and uh, Coastal Carolina. All five of these games, they could do one thing to him. Nobody else did at BYU because BYU played – people that they were just better than yeah but in these five environments you got to see cloud cloudy pocket dirty pocket pressure just not the nor he, he couldn't function in the nor he didn't get to throw it to the first guy and he was wide open he, he had to function into an environment that he's gonna have to play in yeah could not do that not, not any year could he do that first year second year third year now he transitions to the national football league and that was the one thing i said like hey that would bother me as an evaluator as a just I've never seen him do that, and now he has to function like that Yeah, at a higher level where it's consistently like that, and that his, was his biggest problem. Interesting. And so he couldn't function in that environment, so what starts to happen, um, especially in New York, you know, now they start pounding on you. Now, yeah. you know, the poor kid has no confidence. You know, the, the kid is ruined, okay? Yeah. It will take something. And then what, he's been, in, he's been there three years, four years? Okay, but listen, he's got six years of never being able to play in a dirty environment. Okay. Yeah. The the evidence tells you we have a lot more I don't bad think, than good. Yeah, I don't situation. think you're ever going to fix that. And are you going to really invest the time 
um, are you going to go trade for him and then put your whole team under uh, uh, the hopes on that guy I, yeah. based on he already c- cannot function in an environment that is critical to function? You know, that's when C.J. Trout came out. Yeah. And uh, Bryce Young. Bryce Young struggled in that environment. B- Bryce Young is a limited passer in that environment. In fact, Bryce Young oftentimes can't throw in that environment. His It's almost like a rainbow effect. He has this rainbow that he can throw the ball inside of. Mm-hmm. C.J. Stroud has no limitations. He gotcha. functions incredible in that he threatens every inch of the field. I got no limitations. So when I put a game plan together with C.J. Stroud, I am not immediately going, okay, he's 5'9". He's limited thrower. How do I game plan around this? And we're playing the second best defense in football. Uh, There's no I, easy thing. I am so. And I go to CJ Stroud. Okay, okay. Here's the best defense in football. I don't have there to worry about him being five nine. I don't have to worry about his limited limitations and throwing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to rip him apart. Okay, you're never going to do that with Bryce Young. Okay, they're going to fire. They fired coaches because they didn't do it with Bryce Young. Okay, mm-hmm. and I, I confirmed today that the owner made the decision. Okay, and what is the owner saying? Okay. You as a coach, you better fix that. You're never fixing 5'9". You're never fixing those limitations. You're always going to have to coach within them and find ways around them. But those limitations will keep you from winning a championship. I don't care how nice a kid he is um, because, to me, that's a bonus. That's not a skill set. Yeah. Now, if he has – C.J. Stroud's a nice kid, too. You know, and 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 he was the kind of leader and the kind of human being I'd want to lead my my franchise. And how they made that choice – is still one of the most – I think it is one of the most – none of them – there's only one first-rounder in that, that draft. Only one. Yeah. And that was C.J. Stroud. Interesting. He's the only one. That's what the tape tells you. They didn't watch the tape. Right. Or and not that, enough. That, and that told you – then listen, that wasn't that, – that, to me, that wasn't hard. Yeah. If you did your due diligence of what they're, where they're going and how they're playing, that was very easy. See, well, go to Bryce Young. What happened his, his first year, they were just a much more dominant team. He didn't get a lot of pressure around him. Then they, they weren't quite as good a team. Like Texas, when they started playing Texas, when they played Texas, I know they got a lot of hits on him. All yeah. of a sudden, and what did he do? He missed how many games? Two or three? And because they hit him. Yeah. And well, I gave him actually a 10 for toughness because some of the people that hit him, I thought, I mean, would be arrested for murder. They hit him so hard. I was like, I mean, literally wiped him off of the field. I'm like, holy cow, this poor kid. Then when I saw him, he's even smaller so than he tiny. I'm yep. like, I'm like, someone in the NFL will be arrested for murder if they hit this kid. Because yeah. like, gosh, and they did. I mean, and you know what? He missed two games. I yeah. mean, so you're going to have to miss more. He is not going to play all 18 games. Are you okay with that? I'm like, no, I wouldn't be okay with no. that. And guess what? We're going to get fired. Yeah. Just, I wouldn't. C.J. Stroud was, Carolina will, will, that will haunt them. For the next five years, it was not a not a great trade, not a great pick. We got to get, uh, we got about two minutes left. I want to talk about this. Is the most interesting product I've seen all day. It looks Good. like, well, I don't know what it looks like. Well, it almost looks like a bong. Yeah, because <laughs> when I saw it, it looked like a bong. But actually, as soon as they told me what this did, um, I had open heart surgery, and in order to leave the hospital, I had to get my lung capacity back, all the fluids out of my lung and strength. So I had to do this apparatus. Okay, so this breather fit is actually a way to train your respiratory system. So what I did not know, but I understood it after going through open-heart surgery, you can isolate and train your respiratory system to be stronger. Sure. Okay, so after age 30, everybody starts to erode. Um, their respiratory system starts to erode if they're not doing any cardiovascular stuff to strengthen it and keep it strong. So what happens is you get less and less oxygen into your body and less and less oxygen to your brain. 
So the less oxygen you get to your brain, the more sugar that goes to your brain, the less blood flow that goes to your brain. Over time, you basically are slowly killing yourself because you're not moving, you're not functioning, yeah. and you're not eating right. So this is a great start to get the respiratory system started so that you can actually bring in more oxygen, you can breathe better, breathe more efficient. Then if you happen to be doing cardio, this is just going to build on yeah. your cardiovascular condition. If you're doing no cardio, it's a great way to start. It takes five minutes a day, two times a day, and you can do it anywhere. You can do it in between commercial breaks. Yeah. When you're here, I'm at home. You can do it in your kitchen. You can do it in your office. You can do it um, sitting outside on the porch, you know, so it's not complicated. You don't got to get in your car and go to a gym. But it's a great way to strengthen your respiratory system so you can breathe better. Yeah. And here's the results. You'll be, you're, you'll have better oxygen. You'll think better. You'll feel better. And those might be all that you benefit from it. Yeah. So what's what's the wrong with that? And then if you start going, wow, I still feel better. I'm going to add a little cardio to my my regiment, and I'm going to start lifting a little bit. You'll feel less good sugar to do more. Right. So then you Sweet. start getting this momentum, and you start feeling better. Then you'll be like, oh, my gosh, my, you changed your life. I mean, it just – listen, there's nothing – I don't, there's no greater investment than one can do than invest in themselves, you know, invest in their health. And the value from that is indescribable, and you just can't put money on it. Um, but this is a great way to start if you're not doing anything. And if you are doing it and you're at a pretty elite level, it's a good way to advance it because I, uh, I did that. So I was doing it. I wanted to use it. I didn't want to just take somebody's word for it. It all made sense based on my open-heart surgery. But I'm, So I go on a trip to Pebble Beach. I go on a 12-day trip, and I took this with me. I did it. I worked out and I stretched, but I didn't do cardio. So I come home. I'd had 14 days off, and my first day I do high, my intense cardio, my 90%. What was interesting is, like, the breathing part of it wasn't yeah. a problem. But my, my heart hadn't been trained for two weeks, so it was a little off. And I could actually feel the difference. Interesting. I know. Like, I, I would never have – I did it on accident, too. I didn't do this on purpose. I was like, <laughs> I did it on accident. Like, that's how my life is. I just did stuff on accident. I'm a C student. Yeah. So I do it on accident, and I but I could feel the overall difference from – how my, you know, my heart hadn't been pumped around for a couple of weeks, and it's gonna probably be like seven days of training to get me back on on track. But the overall breathing aspect was very easy, and I was like, I probably never would have believed that had I not done it. Well, and you know, post open heart surgery, you want to get your lung straight, but you can't go for a run, you know. No, but but you. So my point is, I didn't realize you could even isolate your respiratory yeah. system, which yeah, yeah. I was. I, then I was like, "Gosh, I did that when I." I wondered why I didn't think of doing that when, when I got done. Just add that to my my routine, but it just it, I never knew that. So that's why I love about being able to share different things because you know you can spark somebody to try something. It might help. Um, um, listen, if you clearly do it right, I think you. you I don't. I don't see how you couldn't feel the difference because I can really feel. I felt the difference, and I, 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 I'm in really good shape, and I train cardiovascular wise, you know. So, yeah. and I can feel the difference in it. That's really cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I saw it over here with Bill earlier, and I'm like, I'm excited to learn about that, mm-hmm. and excited to hear talk about tape. We had Greg Cosell on earlier oh, today, so we yeah, we have oh, some grinders great. at this table. Today. That's great, man. Uh, yeah. It was great. Nice Thanks for having you. me. And I, I don't hold 2011 against you. I'll just never forget the okay. one person <laughs> rang the alarm on the 2011 Packers. I'm like, yeah, yeah Merrill Hodge was right. Yeah, another that. another buzzkill. The Debbie Downer. <laughs> appreciate that, Merrill. Thanks for <laughs> Thank you, brother. Yeah, You're enjoy good. Super Bowl week, Merrill. Thank Hodge. you too. NFL running back analyst. I appreciate his time. I'm going to post a picture of this thing because it does it does look a little bit like a bong. Maybe more of a pipe than a bong, uh, but this is a cool-looking product. Maybe I'll pull it out in the Uber on the way back to the Airbnb tonight and freak out the driver. Uh, you can't smoke in here. Nope, I'm not smoking. Uh, just working out the lungs, and then I'll make the guy feel bad for getting up my butt about working out. Tomorrow, 
Uh, I don't even know who we have on tomorrow. I'm going to scrounge. I'm going to try to get some Packers. There's going to be some Packers on Radio Row tomorrow. So we'll see if if I'm capable of pulling it off uh, one more day in Vegas. And I think it might kill me. But by Saturday, I think I'll be... Uh, I think I'll be ready to collapse and get back to Wisconsin for sure. So one more show at Radio Row. I'll post the podcast later tonight or first thing tomorrow morning. Thanks for the patience this week. I know it's just a little bit slower. Have an awesome night. Appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 4. Never miss a Friday show. doesn't matter if we're in Wisconsin or in Las Vegas. Never miss a Friday show. We just don't do it. Talk to you tomorrow. There's too much confusion.